you would please turn in your Bibles to the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians. We are focusing this glorious day on verses 5 through 12. Uh, a, a text that I have called the Lord's work, the Lord's way. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 5 through 12. We will pray and then read the word of the Lord. Father, may we glorify your name. Father, in all that we do. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Father, give us hearts that long. Please, Lord, help us. Help each of us individually. And Father, each of us collectively as the body of Christ. Walk in a manner worthy of this great privilege. Of this great honor, this great calling. And Father, may we draw to you. And Father, be overwhelmed by your presence, overwhelmed by your power, and overwhelmed by your purpose. And Father, that we will walk step by step, filled with your Spirit, overwhelmed by your presence, rejoicing in the body of Christ, your church. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 5. Chapter 16, 1 Corinthians. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you, or even spend the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. For I do not wish to see you now, just in passing. For I hope to remain with you for some time, if the Lord permits. But I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective service has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you and with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now. But he will come when he has opportunity. We will focus this Lord's Day on the 12th verse. But I want to kind of bring this back into a package because um, this whole context is here. And it's dealing with the Lord's work, doing it the Lord's way. And, and I've given you six sub points here that you can pay attention to as you go through these. But it's kind of funny. Uh, I watched this many times. Uh, I know on uh, Sunday night, I'm teaching out of Second Peter on being partakers of the divine nature and yet looking at what we do and we had moral excellence and moral excellence knowledge and, and and I watch people on a regular basis get after this stuff to their frustration and what I want to warn each of you who have been through all of this together I think this is the eighth message in this um, you will become extraordinarily frustrated 
If you decide, well, I've got a vision and I'm feeling flexible and I've got a commitment and by golly, I understand there's a challenge and I'm going to know that there's unity there and, you know, I'm following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay, because there's times that I watch people and their intentions are truly honorable, but they're doing it. And when God is doing something through an individual or through a group, then no one can get credit for what is done. For it will be done in such a way that it will basically be miraculous and it will never be based on your talents or abilities. Okay? In chapter 6, um, verse 19 of this letter, I want to bring back to your attention again because I think we miss this. All right. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. And this is what I want you to hear. You are not your own. Do you understand that? And there is a tendency, and 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 I fall plagued to this at times, asking for people to do things that we step into have to. Okay, if I am not my own, then it should be a want to. And let me tell you something: there is a huge difference in the two. Huge difference in the two. Even the Apostle Paul himself in the letter to the Colossians, um, to the church in Colossae, in chapter 1, verse 29, says this, For this purpose I also labor. Okay, that's that word, working to sweat and exhaustion. Striving according to His power which mightily works within me. So when you look at this list and, and, and you draw back to your text there in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5, you see that the Apostle Paul had a vision. He understood what was going on. Understanding that the Lord's work basically falls into two categories. It is evangelism or edification. Okay, Evangelizing is reaching the lost. Edification is strengthening those who have stepped into the presence and kingdom of Jesus Christ. And anything outside of that is really your work. It is not the Lord's. And if I'm going to reach the lost, I probably ought to do it the Lord's way. If I'm going to try to strengthen the saints, I probably ought to try to do it the Lord's way. Okay? And a lot of the stuff that I see out there today and I hear and, and, and I, I hear pastors sharing and, and it is lacking this understanding that you are not your own. And you will strive and you will labor. You do have a responsibility, but you had better do it with the power that is within you, which is not your own. It has been given unto you from the Lord. Okay, and so when you, you I hear people say, well, I have a vision. And then if you listen to it, most of the times and I say most of the times, um, it ain't got nothing to do with the Lord. It is just something I see a lot of people and the pulpit is not immune to this. Um, 
looking for self-ambition or self-gratification. And uh, we have to be real careful about that. Because, and, and I shared with this that if, if I have truly the vision of the Lord, then I can see the big picture as I am looking at the little picture. And, and yet we get into times and, and situations that I believe that we're focusing on us. And what are we going to get out of this? I see people who will prepare, but if I don't have a number of people here, then I ain't going to do it. Really? If God gives you the privilege to reach and teach one soul, do you remember, do you understand how precious that treasure truly is? And yet, you know what? I, I don't see that today. And you know why I don't see that? Today, most churches are motivated and singled out by successes based on what? Numbers. Numbers. How many people are there? How many people do you have? And yet, if you think about it, this church, as small as we are, guess what? Do you understand that we have almost 20 daughter churches? And out of the 20, one is smaller than us? How did we plan that? We didn't. We have an elementary school in Burma and a seminary. Okay, and now we're reaching the Taliban. How, how did we do that? Well, we did the Lord's work the Lord's way. We have a vision. You know what? I see people in our community who need Christ. I, I, I hate to break the news to you. I know some pastors who do. And, um, and, and yet I, I, I struggle because there's times when you and I will have a vision. I've had a vision all of my life since I came and stepped into the ministry and seen what was demanded of me. And sometimes it's fulfilled and sometimes it's not. All right. But that brought me to the next part that is you must be flexible. Okay. Because he makes a statement here, if the Lord's permit. But he says, perhaps I will stay with you. Okay. Why? I'm flexible. I'm not sure how it's going to work. You know, I I'd had a friend that I thought would, many of you know Wayne, and I was going to have him preach this Sunday. But I was flexible. Uh, it kind of drove Stephanie crazy. Well, do you know if he's going to? And I, no, I don't know. Well, when's he supposed to? Thursday. Well, when Thursday? Well, he called me and said he's going to go to the dentist Thursday morning and then he was going to drive in. He didn't get here until about 9.30 Thursday night. Okay? So, you know, and then we were going to go fishing and we didn't go fishing and da-da-da-da and do other odds and ends, you know, pastoral stuff. Sometimes you get tired of being fisher of men. You like to be fisher of fish. Well, you do. But anyway, you know, so, but you have to be flexible. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. He, you know, he just got back and he, you know, his come to me, he says, man, we've got this thing going on in Uganda. Are you interested? <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. You know, he said, well, they speak English over there. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled. Okay. I, I said, you know, in Uganda, I'd stand out like I would in India. <laughs> Um, I, but there's a flexibility. But here's the thing that I want you to really think about because you can have vision and you can be flexible, whatever the Lord wills. But are you committed? Verses seven and eight. Are you committed? Okay, because commitment says 
at this point of what I am doing right now, I will give unequivocally my energies. But my vision is always for what isn't being done. And once this text or task has been finished, then I will move on to where the Lord would have me because I am still flexible. Okay, I see that happening and is a burden on the church today because people aren't content. I'm not talking complacent, but they're not content with where they're at and are they're not committed for the task that the Lord has set before them. You know, it's like Timothy. Paul finally tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, now go fulfill your ministry. But his proving ground was what? Serving Paul. Listen, if I ain't serving now, I don't have to worry about it later. Okay, which brings me to the challenge. There are doors open. Do you understand that there are doors open in our community right now? People who are longing for the truths of Jesus Christ, who are longing to see a redeemed life, uh, basically a supernaturally lived life, a person who is a partaker of the divine nature. They want to see it. Show that to me. And then once you show it to me, how did you do that? How did you do that? I remember a, a, a young Russian man who came to salvation. Last, was it the last time? Or two trips ago, I guess it was. Uh, one of the guys who was first uh, saved in uh, Zeminfka uh, rode a motorcycle. And um, when I showed up at his church on Wednesday, uh, um, he asked me if I wanted to ride his motorcycle. Well, you know me, you know, I don't want to offend the natives. So I took off. To go for a ride of it. And the cities in, in Russia are always set up the same. You usually have an Orthodox church on each end. And then in the center is a big old statue of Lenin. Okay, so um, I decided to go ride circles around Lenin. What? It's not against the law. You're allowed to do that. They even have skateboarders on statues of Lenin. I'm not going to do skateboarding. But anyway, uh, so I take a ride and I ride back to the church. And this guy comes walking up. And he had seen me riding around Lennon. And uh, he's an unbeliever. But he says, I looked at you and you had a joy that I've never known and I want. Okay. Now, I wasn't throwing out tracks as I cruised around on this motorcycle. I was just riding a Belarusian motorcycle. Okay. And this guy met with Alexander and a few of these other guys and repented, came to salvation. Now, I can honestly tell you that I'm not going to write a book on how to ride motorcycles around Lennon so people get saved. <laughs> I ain't going to do it. All right? Why? Because there's a challenge in all salvation. You've got to understand you are reaching into the bowels of hell to save people who do not know God, nor do they want to know God. And if there's not divine intervention going on in it, it ain't happening. And many of the people that you see today who quote unquote claim to be Christians, and yet you couldn't tell the difference between them and any lost person are not saved. Right. Anytime I look at scripture, when a person came to salvation, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that person came to salvation. 
Why do now we doubt it? And I think it, the simplicity is, is that you do not understand that you have an adversary. We sow the seeds. God prepares the soil. Sometimes you sow the seed and nothing happens. Sometimes you sow a seed and that seed will be the seed of condemnation to that soul. Sometimes you sow that seed and it takes deep root and it reproduces. But that's the challenge. But because of this, that's what led us to last week. We looked at 10 and 11 that now we have unity. But we are striving to maintain the peace in love. Okay, we have to work at it. Why? Because each of us has a task. If we are not fulfilling our task, then guess what? Somebody else that hasn't been called or gifted for that task is going to have to fulfill it. Which brings disunity. A lot of, I hear stuff that is described as unity today that is nothing more than a business model. That's all it is. Okay. Uh, I used to work down at a camp down in, 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 in Monument and we used to get secular groups would come in there and, um, they were there for three or four days and, and I was running the challenge course where you kind of freak people out. And um, running that, and they were all there for the same reason. We want unity in our department. And so we're all going to hang out together and, and climb up on a climbing wall or do some kind of weird stuff. And this was all going to build unity. All right? That's nothing but man-made Fabrication, because it really doesn't change the heart, does it? Because if you really think about it, I had a guy tell me one time, and he said, you know what, I, I, I went to these little places, and, and you know, and we were supposed to, small groups or whatever you call them, and, and he said, and, and you know, we were all supposed to get to know each other, and I was trying to find people who liked what I liked or didn't like what I liked. He says, man, the only thing we had in common was Jesus. And I didn't have the heart to tell him, no, you didn't. Because if that's the only thing you've got unifying you as Jesus, you have absolutely no need for anything else. Okay, because I've been around pastors that I don't have the unity of Jesus. See, that's the kind of stuff that you and I have to see. Do you understand the challenge you're at? Go challenge somebody. You don't look saved. Duck. But I know every one of you in this room knows somebody who claims the name and don't look like a, an heir to Jesus Christ, a friend of Jesus Christ, a brother to Jesus Christ. You don't see it. But they will take the name. They may even take time out of their hectic schedule and go sit in on a church service or something. But they're not real and you know it. But when Christ is there, there is unity and you can't change it. You know what's really cool about it? You can't even manufacture it. You can't do it. Now then, that brings me to the last point. Verse 12. Concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you. Can I stop right there? All right. There are times in this unity that is supernatural, that each of us have the same Holy Spirit, correct? You know what's really cool about the Holy Spirit? The same one that was in the Apostle Paul is the same one in you and me. 
I like that idea. I think that's kind of cool. All right? So I will challenge you with this one statement. Why aren't we relying on him? Please. I have been in this church long enough to know that if all else fails, I'll rely on the Holy Spirit. The problem is we waste all that time up to all else fails. Why? He's there all the time. Anyway, there are times in the Spirit's leading in others that we have to pay attention to it. We have, in this church, those of us who have been here for the duration, seems like the duration, we have seen people leave. We could literally say hundreds of people have left. And in some cases, very few, it was the Spirit's leading. Most cases, it is man's leading. And what I mean by that, flesh. And it may be something, um, a pruning process. Okay. But different reasons for people to leave a church. Um, and, and you know what? Um, the thing is, is God's still sovereign and God still says he will build his church and the gates of hell ain't going to stop it. And so he adds and takes away. Okay. Paul. Now remember what he said here. He says, I don't want Timothy to come to you. And be afraid to be despised. Okay. And, 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 and he says he is coming to you. Remember chapter four. We read that last week. Okay. And he says, I'm expecting Timothy to come back to me. And the underlying thought in that is I'm expecting a good report. Paul has sent, if you're really honest with the text, you'll find out there were four letters sent to the Corinthian church. Okay, we have two. We have literally 1 Corinthians was the second letter and 2 Corinthians was the fourth letter. Okay, but and there was correspondence going on between them and it was obvious they were having some problems. Okay, they were extraordinarily puffed up and arrogant. Okay, um, Timothy was finding out basically what's going on. Here's a letter from Paul. His first seven chapters, he's dealing with the stuff that he has heard of that they don't even ask him about, that he knows he has to deal with. It isn't until chapter seven. And he says, now concerning the things you've asked. Okay. If you think about it, how prideful and arrogant and silly must you be to corrupt the Lord's table? Yet they had. They had corrupted spiritual gifts. I see people today who are doing the same thing and it calls the Corinthians. Do you not understand that the letter to the Corinthians is chastening? What he's trying to tell you gently is don't do this. And that's basically what he's getting at here in the conclusion is there's a unity here and this unity will be the following and the leading of the Holy Spirit. When I have a disagreement with somebody, I listen to what the Spirit is telling me. Because I've learned, and I'll be honest with you, it was the hard way, but I've learned that the Holy Spirit doesn't tell one person one thing and another person another thing. 
It just doesn't happen. And that's why in this church, the elders will never make a decision if we're not in absolute unity together. Why? Because I'm positive that the Holy Spirit won't tell one elder one thing and another elder another thing. He ain't going to do it that way. He never has. He never will. So, you know what? It could be that all the elders are wrong. And it is time to bow before the throne and say, what is it you want us to do? And I have seen that happen before. Okay? He says, Timothy is coming to you. He's already said that in chapter 4. Probably Timothy delivered this letter. And he says, I don't want Timothy to be afraid. But then he goes on, he says, I encouraged Apollos to go. That's what he says there. Concerning Apollos, I encouraged him greatly. It was more than just a, hey dude, uh, why don't you take a mission trip over to Corinth? Okay, it was a great encouragement. I really wanted him to go. Why? Why did Paul want Apollos to go with Timothy? You know what? Easiest question I've ever asked and, and, and answered. Okay, because what was happening in Corinth? I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Timothy would walk in there and he is of Paul. Guess who was with him? Apollos. You know what they're saying? <laughs> We're all in this thing together. We're all doing the Lord's work. And that's why Paul would have greatly encouraged Apollos to go. Why? Because there was no unity in the Corinthian church. You had to have and have nots. You had the singles and the married. You had the older and the younger. You, I was here when Paul founded the church. You know, I was here when Apollos took over. You know, I ain't messing with any of you because I am of Christ. Man, check around. Look today and tell me you don't see that. That's in our community, brothers and sisters. All I have to do is walk around. Why? I come in, I'm planting a church here. Why? Well, this place needs a church. Dude, we got 55 of them. We're just short of the new Jerusalem. I don't get it. We even got churches in here that don't want to be called churches. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? You're going to come and what? You know what's funny? And, and I got into trouble this in our denomination. Actually, it was the last time they asked me to speak. It's been many, many years ago. They haven't asked me to speak since then. When the Apostle Paul wanted to go to Rome, did he want to start the Second Baptist Church? You know what? I remember one time I was in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is big Presbyterian country. Okay, huge Presbyterian country. And we were cruising down this street, and I looked up, and there's this great big, huge church. And you know what the sign on the front said? The 27th Presbyterian Church. That always amazed me. Now, I wasn't saved when I saw that, but I thought, 27? 27? You know what that means? There's 26 in front of this sucker somewhere. But I have watched it all over the place. You know where it comes from? Somebody in the church gets mad, and they go start their own. Well, it's, it's got to be location. Let me tell you something about location. Jesus left heaven to come down here. I'm thinking driving distance isn't an issue. 
Just an idea. When the Apostle Paul wanted to go to the church in Rome, you know what he said he wanted to do? I want to come there and do what? Bear fruit with you. Now start the second. But that was a huge city. Uh But they were unified. And they wanted Paul to come and bear fruit. Now Paul got to go there, but he went as a prisoner, but it still works. He says, I encouraged Apollos to come. Why? Because you guys need to see the unity because you are clueless. They were having potlucks. And what they would do is the rich people did not have a job. And what, you know, they just, their investments were sufficient. And they would bring in the roast and the lambs and the beasts. And they would eat about an hour and a half early. And then when the poor people got off of work, they would come and what was left they could have. And yet when they were calling each other brothers and sisters in Christ. Hmm. Paul says we need to see this unity. Why? But even in this unity, there is a leading. He says, I've encouraged him. There was this, you know, Spiros Zodiades called it a personality cult. Look in the church today. I am of Swindoll. I am of MacArthur. I am of Sproul. And then you got some bonehead will step up and says, I am of Christ. You know, I am of the experiencing. You know what? They've got an experiencing God Bible. You ever thought about that? Well, what does mine do? Okay, I know a guy who published, this is a spirit-filled Bible. A what? I would prefer to be spirit-filled myself. What is that? I don't understand that. Why? Does that help the unity? I got news for you. Mine is spirit-filled and I will experience God with my Bible. And I know that for a fact. I have experienced it. See, and Paul understood this. He says, Paul, it would be great if you walked in there with Timothy, taking him this letter, and they would all say, you know what, these guys are all together and they're all unified. What is our problem? Well, yeah, get your egos beaten back down to where they're supposed to be and understand that we're all here for the same purpose. We're all together, Apollos, Timothy, Paul, Terry, Matt, Paige, Karen, Corinne. It's all the same. It's all the same. But you know what? The Spirit will lead each of us in different directions. You know what? I'll be honest with you. Nowhere in my life or nowhere in my ideology or purpose did I ever want to be a pastor. Never did I want to ever do that. And yet God's leading said, guess what? I have a task for you. You know what? Paul was looking at it, and I don't blame him. If I send Apollos into this, I can get this deal settled. I don't have to worry about this thing no more. So I encouraged him to go. So listen, you got to understand something here. I want you to think about what, what is said here. Concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you and with the brethren. I want you to think about this. In the church, do you suppose Paul was known? We're talking the whole church. I mean, by the writing of this letter, um, probably the bulk of it 
was his plans. So everybody knew who he was. Okay, do you know what that means? He had just a little bit of clout. There is a little bit of authority behind this, especially in the Gentile side. It's a little more than that. If you go look at the letter to the Galatians, Paul, the apostle, who was there when Stephen was stoned, rebuked Peter for playing favorites. He hung out with the Gentiles, was eating with them. But when a bunch of Jews showed up, he washed his hands of the Gentiles and would not associate with them. This is Paul who rebuked Peter. Peter got out of the boat. Peter was there on the Mount of the Transfiguration. Peter was the spokesman for the twelve. And yet he was rebuked by the Apostle Paul. Listen, Paul had some authority. In the middle of that verse right there, he said, it was not at all his desire. (laughs) That's an interesting phrase. Here you've got the apostle to the Gentiles has a Gentile church problem, wants this man to go. And the man says, no. Let's find out. Funny. Apollos was busy. Why? I would use the same phrase that Paul used. An effective door of ministry has been opened. And I am not finished. I've had people, a few, not very many, think that I should go to another church. We think you've been called here, you've been called there. But I always look at it and say, you know what? I have an effective door of ministry open here and I'm not finished. Well, we believe God has led you. (laughs) Really? That's weird because I didn't get the memo. Normally, if God's got me doing something, I'll find myself in a state of praying for it. And I have not prayed. I don't think I've ever prayed, God send me somewhere else. I never wanted to go to Russia. But that goes back, are you flexible? Um, And so I don't ever want to say I definitely do not want to go to India and the Taliban because he may just do it. (laughs) Poo. Okay. See, Paul's response, he will come when he has opportunity. Have you ever thought about that? This is the Apostle Paul. See, again, one of the things I, I, I am in awe of the Apostle Paul in. He had no ambition. No ambition. See, he could have swung his authority around and swung his ability around. He could have swung his weight around and said, Apollos, we need to settle this thing on unity in the church in Corinth and I demand that you go. And you know what? That's fine. But let's be realistic. The Apostle Paul, knowing that he had vision, knowing he was flexible, knowing knowing that he was committed, and knowing that everywhere that the gospel was going was a challenge, knowing the unity of the body, he also knows that you've got to have patience. You've got to have patience. See, it is obvious the Apollos probably knew what Paul's thinking was. It is obvious everybody knew what Paul's ideas were. But it wasn't what Apollos' idea was. 
He said he'll come when he has opportunity. See, one of the things that I believe that you and I need to be aware of, you can't cram the work of the Lord on people. You can't force the work of the Lord on people. Now, there's a danger in it, and I, I kind of stumble in it. I hate to ask anybody for anything. It's, it's, it's one of those things, if the pastor comes and asks you, guess what? I probably better do it. You know what? I don't want you to probably better do it. I don't want you to ever do anything that you think you have to do. I mean, when we were teaching on giving, God loves a cheerful giver. Now I can sit and tell you the budget's in the toilet and Philip has got this and we got that and I don't understand why you ain't giving it. And you know what? You guys may all of a sudden give, but you ain't going to be happy about it. And I would rather you be cheerful about it. I would rather you say, you know what? The Holy Spirit has moved this on my heart that I ought to deal with this, whatever it is. Okay? Because you know what? I, I see a lot of pulpits today who manipulate the people. And I am not going to manipulate anybody. Now, there's times when people say, well, hey, I tell you what, he just stepped all over my toes. And was that me or him? I'm just the foghorn, people. That is all I do. You know, I heard it. It said, well, you know, you're just a waiter. You know, God prepares this wonderful meal and you, I just got to try to get it out to the table without spilling it. Now, whether you eat of it or not is completely up to you. Paul, ideas were... We're there, but you know what? He, he knew that he let the Spirit of God work in the hearts of men, women that he labored with. There's gotta be times that, that has to frustrate Paul. I would really like to have this dealt with. I think we can just do this and do this and, and everybody stood there and looked at him like calves at new gate. See, he was a man who had the authority. He had the ideas. He had the strategy. He had the vision. He had the plans. Right? He also had patience. Also had patience. See, he had the patience that he knew God's Spirit would work. And he knew that he had to allow the Spirit of God to work in the heart of anybody else that was on the team because that's where the unity is. You can't drag them. You can't force them. That's why it's so important in the ministry. If I'm serving the Lord, there is always going to be a sense of unity and I'm going to realize that God's Spirit works not just through me, but through all who's involved. Okay, I may have the vision right now. It may take everybody else two, three, four, five years to catch up. Okay, but if the truth of the matter is, if we've already looked at this, this commitment, it will be the proving ground for your faith, your strengthening. So when you step into the task, you're ready for it. And perhaps when I had my idea, you weren't ready for it. 
And probably in that same process, I would be prepared for whatever task it would be. You know, I have been longing. I don't remember how many times I've been to Russia. I've been really longing to get into Belarus. That's where we first started our work in, in, in Russia. And I found out that it's an amazing thing. I'm sitting there going, how do I pull this off? But what I found is, is that the width of the train tracks in Belarus are different than the width of the train tracks in Russia. Okay, it is a major ordeal to get from Russia to Belarus. And you sit there and I said, well, because I thought maybe it was like state departments and, and things like that between. No, they love each other. The Belarus government and the Russian government just are buddies. They hang out together and drink vodka. Okay. But there are transportation issues. And then all of a sudden I find out that they sometimes will or will not allow interpreters to leave Russia. Okay, if you're a male, you are not allowed to leave Russia, especially if you can interpret. Okay, so here I am, a guy by myself with a female interpreter going where? Now, I don't have a problem with that, but I guarantee you, the church in Belarus will. Especially if I said, this ain't my daughter. <laughs> Who is it? I don't know. <laughs> she speaks good Russian. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? So also now you've got that issue. All right. So I, I thought, how hard can it be? These governments are the same. One's a dictatorship. The other one wants to be a dictatorship. Well, the railroad tracks don't fit. And there's this big ordeal. If you take a train to the border, guess what happens? You got an overnight stay with a female interpreter. <laughs> Try that one. Honey, just for your information. Okay? So basically, it's all your guys' fault. Nobody go with me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right. God moves in everybody's heart at his pace. And we have to be sensitive to what is God saying. Okay, please, I, I want to give just a little footnote on that. I would give anything if you please do not be concerned what God is telling me. Okay, be real sensitive to what God is telling you. Okay, because what I've learned over my years is if God has something to tell me, he knows where I'm standing. <laughs> and he very seldom ever needs you to tell me. I know you believe that that's your calling and gifting. Okay, but the truth of the matter is um, I'm on still on his internet website thing and he gets me instant messages instantly. Okay? And he's, he's really good about it. He doesn't text me because he knows that it takes me forever to text someone back. And that, and that would be the word yes. <laughs> All right. So, but what, what you and I need to pay attention to is what is he telling us individually? What is he telling me? Okay. We can't be dictating to other people. We don't need to dominate other people. I watch people who throw their spiritual maturity around and then I have to question if that's really truly spiritual maturity. Because spiritually mature, guess what? I ain't here. I am here to protect you, to guard you, and I am to walk with you. 
And you know what? In this room, some of you walk slower than others. And the problem with that is, well, I need to make you what? If you're truly, I remember a guy telling me one time, he says, well, you, you got to get into fighting with demons and you, and you bind them and you do this and you do that. And I said, um, I don't want to do that. And he said, well, why not? I said, I can't get my kids to listen to me. Why in the world would I want a demon to try to argue with? Okay. And he said, well, I never thought of that. I was like, well, that's fine. But I, no, I, I, I have many adversaries. I know it. I have always known it. I've seen them. Uh, sometimes I'm aware of them. Sometimes I ain't aware of them. But you know what? God is faithful. And I just trust Him with it. And you know what? I don't believe a lot of this garbage that I hear about demons. Do I believe in demons? Absolutely. A third of the angelic host has fallen. Absolutely. I believe that emphatically. I don't have any problem with that. But I ain't going to go look for no arm wrestling match with no demon. I don't need to. Why? Deal with the flesh of people once. I don't have to go look for that. See, the Spirit of God will generate the work in the people. Okay, all I have to do is tell you, guess what? The Spirit of God will generate the work in the people. <laughs> you know, well, what does that mean? Well, it just means that the Spirit of God will generate the work in you. All right, and all I have to do is be patient. Or in some cases, in some of your guys, I, I need to catch up. All right, if you just look at this text, it's very practical. Why? If I'm going to do the Lord's work the Lord's way, what? I'm going to have vision, right? I'm going to see, I'm going to see what's being done. And then I'm going to see what isn't being done. And I'll be involved in what is being done. Preparing so I will go do and what isn't being done. You know, it was funny. This thing that we did in Russia. Everybody said, well, where'd you come up with this idea? <laughs> Book of Acts. Interesting concept, huh? Why? They took their best and trained them to do what? Train others. And then they sent them out. So we found out that the Russians, guess what? Quarterly, even under socialism, would meet together to strengthen each other. And we said, hey, oh, cool. We'll just meet in your quarterly meetings and we'll teach you for a week. I said, that's a great idea. Where'd you come up with that idea? Book of Acts, chapter 6 and verse chapter 11. Oh, that's why we call it the... Antioch Initiative. Why? It came out of Antioch, Syria. Alright? So, it is already laid out. All we have to do is walk in it. So, you have vision. You see what is here? you diligent there. You take care of it there. You watch it there. And guess what? He'll move you out. To fulfill the vision that he's already given you. But you have to be flexible. Why? It is God's time frame. I remember right after socialism had collapsed. And it was uh, about four and a half or five years after it. And the first seminary, seminary that was actually ever established after the fall of the communists. Um, was having a graduating class. Okay. <laughs> wow, that's totally awesome. So they asked me if I would be willing to go to Russia. And bring a message to these graduating seminary students. 
I thought, oh, cool. And then they said, you're going to go with John MacArthur. And I was like, oh, bummer. <laughs> what, I carrying the bags? <laughs> what is that? Is that how that's going to work? And I talked to my wife about it, and my wife was having trouble with me traveling. And so I didn't go. And then God works through my wife, so now she wants me gone all the time. <laughs> okay? She buys up stocks of tickets. Would you like to go here? How about here? You know, I think I can get you a one-way ticket to Punjab, India. <laughs> but, but it was a process. I mean, yeah, you sit there and go, well, well I'll get to it. But then you, you think about it, you get to give that one message to these seminary kids, and look what we've done since then. Now we're teaching their teachers. Whoa, that's even, whoa, that's even better. Why? Because that is the flexibility. Why? Here's what comes next is there was a commitment to now. And what is God doing now? And am I absolutely committed, striving and laboring with the this, this force that is within me, the person of the Holy Spirit now? Because it will be through that process that you are strengthened for the bigger process. So you have a commitment. I have a commitment to what is going on now with a view down the road for that commitment later. Okay? But you understand that if there's an effective door of ministry there, walk through it. Understanding that if it's effective, guess what? There'll be many adversaries. Paul told Timothy at the conclusion of his life that you know what? If you walk in Christ's righteousness, you will be persecuted. Absolutely. Absolutely. And listen, I don't have to go look for a fight. My fight starts off simple as this. And where is that in the scriptures? Well, you know, God does different things, and that's when I get called the old wine bag. Oh, well. But you know what? Old wine bags don't leak. Um, I remember... Uh, yeah, never mind. We won't even get in that. Because that brings me to unity. Why? If you understand that you're in a war, you're in a spiritual war. Right now, you are in a spiritual war. Then you're going to have unity because you have no other choice. You know, I heard a guy make a statement one time. He said, the church is like Noah's Ark. Or, yeah, Noah's Ark. And I was like, what? He said, yep. He said, the stink inside would kill you if it wasn't for the storm outside. I'll let you think about it. <laughs> but... You and I are in a battle. We're in a war for the eternal destiny of souls. Souls that do not know Christ at this moment. Souls that do know Christ right now but are struggling and it's our responsibility to strengthen those and reach in and save those who do not know Him. Because that's where our unity will come from. That's where we will have children in the faith. And we will also be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. In each people's lives. Okay? Listen, if we keep it this simple. Okay, I'm going to keep this as simple as I can. Here is the church. You know what the church's responsibility is? It is the pillar and the foundation of truth. You got that? It's the pillar and the foundation of truth. That's what the church is. That's what Paul told Timothy that the church was. 1 Timothy 3.15. It's the pillar and foundation of truth. Anything outside of that is not church. That doesn't mean we can't have fun and go bowling or something like that. But our primary responsibility in the body of Christ is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Right? We all got that. Right? Therefore, if we are the pillar and the foundation of truth, then the Lord's work is based on two things. Evangelism 
and edification. All right? In that, that sphere that I just gave you, God will lead each of you as God wants each of you to do what God wants you to do. Okay? It's that simple. I wish it was more complicated. I was reading about this old preacher, Sidney Smith. He was in England. And it was during the, about the same time of uh, Charles Spurgeon and all the rest of them. But um, there was a movement of the Lord in England. And a reporter came and asked Sidney Smith <clears throat> and asked him this question. How do you account for the great success of the Methodist revival that the, that the Methodist revival has had in England? Okay, uh, you know, asking a Baptist about this, you know, trying to start a fight. But anyway, here's his answer. And I quote, he answered, the answer is simple, sir. They are all at it and they are always all at it. Unquote. It's really simple if you think about it. I'll put it to you this way. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That's the way Paul said it. He's a little more wordy. They are all at it, and they are always all at it. Okay? Are we abounding in the work of the Lord? Is that said of us? How many in this room are eagerly awaiting the words from the Lord that says, well done, true and faithful servant? Because if you're looking for that, then you need to always be all at it. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul who set such a high bar before us. And Father, we who are called by your name and dwelt by your spirit, uh, immersed into your church, blessed among creatures on this planet that have ever existed. Father, may we be at it. May we, as the Apostle Paul says, labor, striving by the power that is within us. Father, we are just but earthen vessels with a precious treasure inside. May we be faithful to the amazing things that you do. And Father, may we bow before you with thanksgiving, joy in our hearts to all that you've already done. And yet, Father, have a view of what is lacking. And Father, sensitive to your spirit, to step into the gap, fight the good fight, pour it out as drink offerings, keeping the faith, knowing that there is a crown of righteousness laid up for us and all who hear our words. In Christ's name, amen.